Well, we're looking at the anatomy of the church, and we're observing how God, uh, how God has designed it. And today, we're on our final message in that, in that series. And uh, yes, amen, somebody said. I heard that. Yeah, you never know. I am excited to get back to verse by verse exposition. I really am. We're looking at the Bible. We're looking to the Bible to sh- and sharpening our focus on the on the structure of the of the church. And as we do, we've we've seen the local church is is pastor led, not not always in the pulpit, not always paid, deacon served. And congregationally affirm the the elders or the overseers, the pastors. They lead uh, God's God's people. They feed God's word, and then they then they shepherd the flock. The deacons serve the pastors and the body, and they do it well. They do it so well that they're models for everyone else. Then the congregation ministers to one another, grows in sanctification, and it's a witness to the to the world, or as we have have called them, the visible leaders, the exemplary servers, and then the maturing ministers. Now, Christ is not, or the church is not perfected yet. We, we won't be perfected until we see Christ. The church has many flaws. This church has many flaws and many struggles. And you know that because you're... You're part of the church, not specifically Timberlake, but just in general. The church is made up of, of sinful people, even though it is a precious, precious gift from the Lord. There's nothing on earth like it, and we, we should treasure the church. Charles Spurgeon said, The church is not perfect, but woe to the man who finds pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. Christ loves his church. Let us do the same. I have no doubt that the Lord can see more fault in his church than you can. And I have equal confidence that he sees no fault at all because he covers her faults with his own love, that the love, that love which covers a multitude of sins. And he removes all her defilement with that precious blood which washes away all the transgressions of his people. Isn't that beautiful? That's how Christ feels about his church. That's how we should feel. And that should be a blessing to us because we are the body of Christ. And just like God provides visible leaders and model servers, they're both part of a, of a group called the, called the body, made up of many gifts, as Nathan read to us this morning. Each of them function together. These individual parts all come together in the body of Christ, and that makes up what what we're calling a ministering membership. You are, you're a member, meaning you're part of something bigger. You're, you're not alone. It's not Jesus and you. You're, you're part of, of the church. You, you grow. You grow to be more like Christ. That's called maturity or sanctification, which goes on until you see Jesus. And then you are also part of that work of, of maturity. That's what the Bible calls ministry. We, we're equipped to do ministry and we speak the truth to, to one another. And if you would summarize all of that, I, I think the Bible gives us three M's of a, of a ministering membership. Maybe this will be helpful for you to, to remember. Again, we're, 
we're, we're going from different passages, looking at them expositionally, and then drawing out this, this topical sermon, if you will. There are three M's of, of membership. And they are ministry, maturity, and making disciples. If you would ask me, how would you summarize what the church member is supposed to be doing? What should I be thinking about whenever I think of this is my duty as a, as a, as a member of the body of Christ? I, I would think these, these three words would summarize that. Ministry, maturity, and making disciples. Let me tell you exactly what I mean by that. Look at the first one. First M is, is ministry. The Bible says not only are the pastors and the deacons gifted, but you are gifted by the Spirit of God to serve. You're also equipped by the Word of God to serve, and you are called by Christ to serve. Open, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be in three different passages this morning, all of them will be very familiar to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we heard read this morning, every member is gifted by the Spirit to serve. 1 Corinthians 12, as we said in our very first message, is, is in the spiritual gift section. It's the, it's the biology lesson on the, on the church. And, just as Jesus gives, has given spiritual gifts to the pastors to lead, to teach, and shepherd, He has gifted each one of you by that same Spirit for ministry. Look, if you would, at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. To each one... To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And there is the, the focus of the Spirit's work. The Spirit gifts. It's focused on ministry. Verse 7 makes that plain. To each one of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the, for the, the common good. Not so you can... You can show off, not so you can use your talents or whatever it is, not so somebody can pat you on the back, but for the, for the common good. The Bible teaches that, that we are servants and, and then as we grow in our understanding of that, we even get lower. We become, we become bond servants. We are, we are the under rowers. That's the way we view our, ourselves. Not, not like the, the little chicken hawk on foghorn leghorn. You remember that, that guy? That's the opposite of what we're supposed to be. The purpose that you have been gifted is for the common good, which means others in the church. And you have been gifted by the Spirit to serve. And 1 Corinthians 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians 4 explains how you're gifted or how you're equipped to use that in the church. Turn over to Ephesians 4. We're going to settle down here in a minute. Ephesians chapter 4. You've been gifted by the Spirit to serve, but Ephesians 4 explains how you're equipped to use those gifts in the church. You were given that gift at the moment of salvation, but then you're equipped to be able to know how to use it and how to operate and how to, how to function. 1 Corinthians chapter, oh sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. There's the passage that we have already went over. He's given 
some apostles and some prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, that's you, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. How long does that go on? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the body of Christian truth, everything, full doctrine, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Does anybody in here this morning know everything about Jesus? No, you don't. Neither do I. And so you're here being equipped. You're equipped to minister in the church. You're equipped by the Word to, to serve. And the serving that you do is to grow people into Christ's likeness. You're equipped to do that work. That's, that's ministry. You're equipped by the, by the Word to serve. The, the, the repeated word or phrase over and over in this, in this entire passage is, has to do with, with maturity, growth. Paul uses terms like build up, grow up, attain, the proper working of all the pieces, causing growth, building itself up. It's, it's, all, about, it's all about maturity. Gifts have been given to equip you to do that work of maturing. You are matured by the Word of Christ as you sit under it and as you appropriate it, as you understand it, as you put it into practice, and then you turn right around and you, you do that same work in the in the body. Look at verses 15 and 16. He describes the end result of a church that seeks to model God's plan. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, that's what you're equipped to do, we grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, in whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. It causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up. A church that seeks to model God's plan is a church that has leaders that equip, saints that are doing the work of the ministry. The body is building itself up through speaking the word to one another, and the end result is, is maturity and continual healthy growth. And that's where you fit in. In verse 12. Here's why Christ gave pastors to the church. <coughs> Excuse me. There are three prepositional phrases here, and they are all subordinate to each other. Show you that. Up there. That simply means the first one is the foundation for the next. The first one. They were given for the perfecting of the saints. It's the only place in the New Testament that this word is, is used. And it's used when it's talking about furnishing a room or preparing uh, a, a garment for, for additional work. It first says that the Lord gave, gave elders to prepare the saints for serving the church. Look at the second phrase. For the work of the ministry. This phrase is dependent on the first one. It denotes the goal of being equipped. You're equipped with the goal of to prepare you for, for service. When you hear the word ministry, you may be tempted to think about a, about a person or a pastor. Like, that's my ministry. Or TCS is a ministry of Timberlake Baptist Church. But that's not what this word means here. 
It's a word that should be familiar to you from, from last Sunday. It's, it's the word for deacon. All members do serving work. Deacons are just models at that. And yet every believer is being readied for service to others with the final goal of the building up of the body. And you can look at the third phrase. You can see that. To the building up of the, of the body of Christ. Again, this one builds on the, on the previous. And the word edify means to build up. It is, it's a word that has to do with equipping. It was used for construction projects. We're to build the body piece by piece as we serve one another. And every person in the body of Christ is important and needed to bring it to health and maturity. There is no clergy or laity separation in the Bible. It's not the pastors are one group and who do the work and then the church comes along. It's the pastor's work, which is part of the church's work, and the, the church is then built up, and that's the, that's the goal. And you can see that in verse, at the end of verse, uh, or in the beginning of verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith, which is the knowledge of the, of the Son of God. And when you think of the word attain, you think of a goal. What's the goal? What's the, what, what's our target? It's the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the, of the Son of God. Notice it says the faith. It's the body of, of Christian doctrine. It's the one faith that was mentioned back in verse 5. You know, one spirit, one faith, Ephesians says. And the knowledge of the Son of God. Christ is revealed in the Scriptures, and so you come to truth. You come to that by truth, and you're unified as you, as you learn of Him. Faith produces the knowledge of Christ, which in turn produces more faith. But let me ask you a question. Is that what most churches are aiming at? A knowledge, the knowledge of the Son of God and unity of the faith, full understanding of the whole counsel of God. I don't think there are a few. Clearly, there's not many enough. And that has practical implications in how you do things. You don't believe that's your goal. You have practical, that has practical implications in what you do. When you gather together, like what we're doing this morning, if you don't have that as the goal, man will become the primary focus of the service and not God. Sermons will be more about man's needs than God's desires and God's demands. Personal preferences will rule, not, not truth, energized worship, music style over words, genre over theology, Bible versions over clarity, cultural norms over holiness. Programs will replace discipleship. Entertainment will increase. Substance will decrease. Isn't that what you see today? It's everywhere. If you don't have this as the goal, when the church ceases to be about the knowledge of Christ, the holiness of God's people, there will be less evangelism in the marketplace and less doctrinal preaching in the, in the church. Now, this is the opposite of what you're told. Less doctrine in the church because people need to be saved. And they do need to be saved. Shorter sermons, less authority, less dogma to connect to people. But less doctrine preached, the less people are evangelized because people don't understand the implications of the gospel and who God is, and then they struggle to apply it. 
When the church ceases to be about the holiness of God's people, mission suffers. Because the church is an eclipsed view of evangelism, it becomes a decision in a church that's where you bring people to for them to make a decision. Rather than you go and you proclaim the power of God unto salvation and gospelize the world. And you're equipped to do that in the church. The church ceases to be about the knowledge of, of Christ, the holiness of God's people. The distinction between saved and unsaved is diminished. And that hinders the gospel's reach. I mean, being a Christian ought to make a difference, right? I mean, it ought to make a difference. And you're made different sermon by, by sermon, passage by passage. Our power is not becoming like the world to attract the world, but to be so like Christ that we reveal Him and expose them. And that, that's how it works. Listen. Don't get wrapped up in all of the, the, the sociology. There are no new generations. Boomers and busters and Gen Xers. I mean, that's all sociological nonsense. It's not biblical. The same gospel will save somebody born in 2019 that was born in 19. I mean, there are cultural things that you can be aware of, but that does not change the message in your task, which is to proclaim Christ to, to the world. Man is just as wicked and godless today as he's ever been. And here's the good news. The gospel is transcendent. And it's just as powerful today. It spans all cultures, all age groups, and all times. And the church is watching its relevance decline, and the holiness of congregations seem a little different between, between the unbelieving world. But rather than proclaim a gospel that's transcendent, it has attempted to make that gospel relevant, and by doing so, it has emptied it of its power, which is what 1 Corinthians says. What does a gathering of people that focuses on what Ephesians says, what does that look like? That focuses on the knowledge of, of, of God. What does it look like? Well, it looks like the preaching of scriptures is central in the worship service, because that's the only thing that will transform it looks like congregational worship overshadowing individual experience. Word-informed worship. Ignorance cripples worship. Clarity translates into conviction. It looks like the Lord's Supper being practiced with a focus on remembrance and holiness. It looks like membership and discipline being emphasized as part of a regenerate church. It looks like a long-term trust in the faithfulness of God and, and His work. You're equipped to do that. You're also called by Christ to serve. You're called by Christ to do this. Look at this list. Jesus commands us to be devoted to one another, honor one another, rejoice one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another, offer hospitality to one another, confess our sins to one another, pray for one another. Do you, you see a repeated phrase in all of that? The Christian life was never meant to be an individual or private endeavor. The church is an assembly of, of others, and they're the one another's. The Lord is very clear that He intends the Christian life to be lived out in distinct congregations. That's what He's called you to do. In fact, it's impossible to carry out the commands of the New Testament and not be part of a congregation. You can't do any of those one another's. 
and not be part of a, of a congregation. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone, but you're never pictured in the Bible as being alone. You'll not find followers without churches in the New Testament. Because if we love God, then we'll love others, and love has to find an expression. You express your love by being committed to one another in the body. That's ministry. Ministry. And then also the second M is maturity. What does it look like to be a part of a biblical church? What is your duty? I preached four sermons about mine. What's yours? Ministry. The second is maturity. Grow in a knowledge of God and grow in obedience to God. You don't have to... I mean, that's what maturity is. Maturity is, is growth in the knowledge of God and growth in obedience to God. And they both, those both go together. It, it's, not about, it's not just about doing, it's about being. But it's not just about being, it's also about doing. You, you don't need to overcomplicate maturity. You renew your mind, you let the Word of Christ take up residence, you learn Christ, and then you practice it. And you keep doing that until you get better and better and better. And, and that's what causes growth. Corn goes in the, in the mill, and then you grind it, and you make flour, and then you make bread out of it, and you put more corn in. You, you put more, more knowledge, more knowledge, more to obey. We're to grow in our knowledge of, of God. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life that we may know Him. Knowing God means that your entire life is centered on Christ and His gospel. We're justified by faith in Christ. We're sanctified or matured by faith in Christ. It's all faith. So what's faith? Well, I just really, 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 really believe. Is that faith? No, it's not faith. It might be sincerity. You may really, 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 really believe that Allah is God. Is that faith? It's not faith. It's sincerity. I'll send you to hell. That's not biblical faith. Faith is being fully persuaded... That what God promised, He's able to deliver and to do. It's being fully persuaded that this is what God says, and then you, you do it. You, you act on it. The gospel is, is a how-come before it's a how-to. Our message is not to tell people how to live. It's, it's to tell them what God has already done and then how they're to respond to it. And then once they respond to it, then you learn what Christ commands you to do. You have to learn Christ before you can follow His, His commands. Dr. Martin Lord Jones explained it this way. Advice is counsel about something that hasn't happened yet. And you, but you can, but you can do something about it. The news report is something that has happened which you can't do anything about because it's been done for you and all you can do is respond to it. And we have good news. We don't have good advice. That's why it's preached. That's why it's shared. We're saved by believing the gospel and we're transformed in every part of our heart, mind, and life by believing the gospel more and more. And then you get deeper and deeper and deeper. That's what Galatians 2, 2.20 means. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Great. He got saved. But look at what else he says. And the life which I now live in the flesh after coming to Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God 
Knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, learning of Christ, forming Christ in me, knowing what Christ says, what pleases Christ, what displeases Christ, what Christ has done, what Christ has promised to do. When that permeates your, your soul, then you mature, then you, then you grow. Less of you, more of Him. He must increase, you must decrease. The Son of God who loved me, and delivered himself up for me. Paul says he lived every day by faith in Christ's death for him, and the righteousness of Christ came to him because of it. Every day he looked to Christ alone, and as you grow in your understanding of Christ and his work, who he is and what he's done, gradually, consistently, sin loses its grip, and your, your behaviors change. We often try to come at it the opposite way, don't we? You preach behaviors, we want to throw doctrine... Besides, just tell me what to do. Be sure God wants us to do things. I'm going to show you that next. But you can't get it out of order. We want to know Him. The power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, His work, contains the power to overcome. That's walking by faith. And faith also has works. You're to mature. You're to be growing. You're to be maturing. You're to be serving, ministering, being equipped, and you're to be maturing. Or do you be growing in, in a knowledge of God, who Christ is, what He's done? And you're also to grow in obedience. I mean, we're to be hearers. We're not to be hearers only, but doers. Turn over to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 gives some particular instruction to us on this. Hebrews 5, verse 12. The writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern Good and evil. That's verse 14. The writer says the oracles of God are the, are the starting point. Just like an infant who needs milk, we, we start somewhere. We, we don't go beyond it. The oracles of God are the, are the Old Testament promises that laid the foundation of, for Christ's coming. That God promised a seed to, to, to Eve. That, that he, he promised that, that there would be one who would come through, through, through Abraham. Or, and, and even before that, there would be a blessing that would come through the tents of Shem, one of, one of Noah's sons. And then Abraham comes from that tent. And, and you, you can see the, the foundations, the elementary principles that he talks about here. They're the basics. It's what you start on. And it makes sense because the word infant here is a suckling. It's a, it's a nursing baby. Let me try to give you some perspective here, because this passage is a rebuke to Christians who haven't matured. 
they've matured in years, they've been saved a while, but they, they should be fully grown in the Lord, but they're not. If you would leave here today and you would go to eat wherever you might go, and you sat down at the restaurant and, and, and you ordered, and, and as you looked at, the, at, at another table, you, you saw someone pull out of a, uh, a diaper bag, like a 60-year-old man out of a diaper bag, a bottle and begin to suck on it in the middle of the restaurant, would you think that would be kind of weird? Yeah, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Not only would it be strange, it would be, it would be unhealthy. You would probably think there's something wrong with him. Maybe he can't eat. Maybe, there, maybe there's an organic or, or a real issue for while that's happening. And, and if that was the case, if he had to do that, 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 would be, that would be fine. What about seeing a baby do it? It's not unnatural to see a baby nurse or drink out of a, out of a bottle. What's the writer saying? It's, it's okay for a new believer to be on the basics. God's saying it's not good, though, to be an infant and on milk as a 60-year-old man or whatever your age is, however you belong to come. You should be an adult. And just as shocking as it is for, for you to think of seeing a 60-year-old man sucking on a bottle in the middle of a, of a restaurant, that's what, you ought to, that's what you ought to think about if it's you or someone else who is not growing or maturing in Christ if you've been saved for a period of time. If you're still, you're still nursing on the basic elements of of Christ. Infants make messes. And many churches are a mess because of adult infants who should be teaching others, but they're still on milk and they lack maturity. They're high maintenance. They're dependents. They're not ministering members because they refuse to mature. 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul gives characteristics of Christians that won't grow, won't mature. And what they can do to the church... Immature Christians are unskilled in the Word. They're not able to comprehend the deeper truths as they feed on the basics. Immature Christians are not spiritual men or women. Paul said, I cannot speak to you as a, uh, to use spiritual men, but, but carnal. Immature Christians are characterized by jealousy and strife. They cause fights in the body. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, an argumentative person is an immature Christian. Immature Christians look a lot like the unsaved world. 1 Corinthians 3, are you not walking like, like mere men, natural men, unsaved men? And look at how you're supposed to overcome that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. You say, I don't want to be that way. I don't want you to be that way either. I don't want to be that way. So what, what do we do? Look at Hebrews 5, 14. Solid food is for the mature. That's what I want to be. I want to be mature. How do you get there? Who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil? Mature believers practice the Word of God and they train their senses. We watch the, the vines or the whatever they are, the little YouTube clips of the guy hitting the very last three-point shot at the, at the very end of the game. Or you stand at all watching someone who, who is able to, to do something with incredible skill. Well, they didn't wake up in the morning and just start doing that. It's hour after hour, practice after practice, failure after failure, and getting up, doing it again and again and again. That's what the Christian life is described as. 
because of practice, having their senses trained to discern good and evil. They become skilled in living, unlike an infant who is unskilled. Needs somebody else to take care of them. Mature believers are able to take care of themselves for the most part. Unless there's a burden too heavy for one person to carry, and then we're to bear one another's burdens. Practice or reason of use here. It's, it's a habit. They do it, they get a little more, they do it again, and they, they learn it to where it becomes part of them, and then it's ready knowledge. Immaturity, you get to the point by practice where it's natural to think spiritually, just as natural as it once was whenever you, you, you naturally thought of sinful things. Our goal is to be an adult who has worked out over time an ingrained maturity where we are spiritually sensitive and we're able to discern good and evil. Listen, if you're a new Christian, the basics won't be hard forever. Keep working at it. And if you've been saved for a while, I mean longer than five years, and you lack discernment or understanding or some of those things that are listed up there mark you, you need to repent and get busy and grow in maturity. Minister, mature, and finally, make disciples. What do I do as a congregation member? The deacons model service. They're, they're the oil. They're the shock absor- uh, absorbers. The pastors, the elders oversee. They, they teach. They, they equip. They shepherd. They protect. What do I do? Well, I minister. I mature, grow in the knowledge of Christ, obedience to Christ, and then I make disciples. We're witnesses and we're waiters. I think it's a really good way, at least it's a good way for me to remember my responsibility, your responsibility in making disciples. You go tell and you take and teach. You are a witness and you're a waiter. As a church, we must make followers of Jesus. And followers make followers. That's what Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says. I mean, you know this. You've you've memorized. Like begats like. Elders train elders. Churches plant churches. Followers make other followers. It's God's pattern. And normally, we kind of think of this as there, there are three commands here. There's only one. We think of going, baptizing, and teaching. There's only one command to make disciples. The going, the baptizing, and the teaching are circumstantial participles that fill out the additional information about that command. And these are not options, okay? To make disciples from all nations, you have to go to them. And when they become disciples, they are, they are to profess Christ in baptism. They make that public. And they're matured by His teaching in the church, which is why we say we make and we mature Disciples, that's the go-tell. You're to be a witness. How do you do that? How are you a witness? Well, that's the taking the teach part. You take them to the Bible and you, you teach them what it says. You go tell, that's the witness. How do you witness? You take them to the Bible and you teach them what it says. No gimmicks, no simple programs, nothing to memorize. You take them to the Bible and whatever time it takes... You teach them Christ. And if they don't get Christ, you bring them back to Christ. And if they don't get Christ, you bring them back to Christ. And it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And whatever time it takes to do that, you do that. And if they never come to Christ, you're being faithful as you do that. That's the waiter's part. 
We're waiters. As I said before, my favorite illustrations of MacArthur is you, is we're not the chef. God prepares the meal. We're just the waiter. Our job is to get the plate from the kitchen to the table and get it there without messing it up and get it there hot. That's it. That's your job. You don't come up with anything new. It's not your, your innovation or anything else. In fact, if you put your innovation in it, it's going to mess it up. Your job is to take what God said and get it to people. How do you know what God said? You get them in the book. You teach them. And you do that over and over and over. That is a big difference from, you know, hitting them with five questions and asking them to pray a prayer. Now, maybe, maybe somebody's already done that work to where they understand. And then they can, they can receive. The fruit falls off in your lap, as they, as they say. Go tell, take teach. Let me give you four reminders that will help you in how to do that. If you're thinking about making disciples, think in this, in, in this way, okay? When you think about making a disciple, you, you need to think transformational, not just transaction. Don't think a transaction. Think a transformation. Making disciples is not like signing people up for an insurance policy and your job is to make the sale. That, that's not discipleship. For someone to become a disciple, a spiritual transformation has to occur. And that is accomplished through the, through the gospel alone. The Spirit of God uses the Word of Christ to bring people to salvation. And the result of that, that work is decisive. It's transforming. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. Think transformation. Don't think transaction. I've got to get a notch. I've got to get a yes. It's not how you should think about discipleship, making disciples. Also think discipleship, not decision only. Becoming a disciple surely happens at a decisive moment. There was a moment whenever I surrendered to Christ. There was a moment whenever I bowed the knee. There was a moment whenever you, you cried out in faith to, to the Lord. But when you're making disciples, when you're thinking about, how do I make disciples? How do I obey this command? Don't think, you should think in terms of a follower, not a decider only. It's this invitation song that, that we know very, very well. I have decided to follow Jesus. What did he decide to do? To follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. It begins at a point, but it continues. In simple terms, a disciple is a follower or a learner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And men don't naturally want to do that. They'll make a decision to get out of trouble or get out of problem or get you off their back. But a disciple is a follower. Everybody wants benefits... They just don't want Christ, right? I mean, who wants to go to hell? It's a big difference. Everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there, at least not the God that they've created in their own mind. Someone shared a perfect example of this with me last week. Somebody shared with me a, a sermon uh, that a young lady named Sadie Robertson did. And the whole thing was about was based on the Lion King. It had no scripture in it. It was just a, I guess it was an allegory. 
don't know where it was or otherwise. She goes through this whole thing about how Simba, the little lion cub, runs from Mufasa. And then he starts to live Hakuna Matata. And then he realizes one day that, that the one mistake that he made doesn't have to ruin his life. And, and he sees his reflection in the water and he sees Mufasa's reflection and he realizes that he has value and that he's loved. And then he runs home to Pride Rock and, and becomes what he was always meant to be. That was the, that was the sermon. There's only one major problem with that, with that analogy. We're not Simba, we're Scar, if you want to use that analogy. <laughs> I mean, we don't run to, to Mufasa. We, we hate Mufasa. We want to kill the sun. We did. That's what the Bible describes about the, the depraved life. Don't think people are out there jumping to follow Jesus. They're they're not. They love themselves. They're rebels at heart. And it's only the gospel that will help them to see their, their need. When you think of making disciples, you need to think about following a person, not accepting a plan. When you witness, you're calling people to follow a person. We preach Christ, not just His benefits. The gospel is not about salvation. It's about, it's about a Savior. And if you know the Savior, then you get salvation because He brings salvation to everyone. Dave Doran, in his book, For the Sake of His Name, said the content of the gospel is more than an offer sheet or benefits package. It communicates who Christ is, what He did on the cross, and what He offers mankind by virtue of His victory over death and what He demands of them, which is repentance and faith. The gospel is not just an offer. It's a command. Repent. Believe. You see the apostles doing the same thing. That's your message. Finally, think of a persevering devotion, not a momentary reception of facts. You could go back to the parable of the soils. You could go to many other places. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. Um... Don't unintentionally treat faith in Christ as a one-time reception of facts instead of a beginning to follow Him and a continuing to follow Him. If you did believe, you still believe. You're believing today. So do you? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is God? Do you believe that you're a pretty good person, that you just... You need to realize who you are, and then you'll run back to God? Or, or, or do you understand that, that you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and you have no hope apart from Christ and, and Christ alone? But God, being rich in mercy, He, he, he made a way that, that you might be right with Him. If you don't believe that Jesus is Christ and that He's Lord, He's God, then then you need to repent and believe. If you have believed that, are you, are you ministering? Are you active doing something in this church? And I don't mean do you have, a, do you, do you have your, a place. I'm teaching Sunday school or I'm doing this. Are you actively ministering to other people? Are you thinking when you come to church and when you think about this body, I'm investing in this person. I'm having lunch with this person. I am learning so I can share that with somebody else. Are you ministering? 
What about maturing? When was the last time that you could tell that you grew in the Lord? When I go back to the church I was saved in 25 years ago, I see people. And when I see them, I, I, I typically have this thought about a, some of them. They're exactly the same as whenever I left 25 years ago. If somebody tells you that hasn't seen you for a, for a long time, you haven't changed a bit. If that's talking about your looks, that's a wonderful thing. If that's talking about your Christianity, that's a bad thing. Are you maturing? And are you making disciples of others? In your family, in your workplace, and around you? Do you go tell? Do you take and teach? Look, there's no magic bullet to it. You just you learn of Christ, and then you obey. You put one foot in front of the other, and then God begins to bless. And God does the same thing in a church. The same thing that God's been doing in this church for over 75 years and, and then some, and the same that he'll continue to do as long as we stick by this book until Jesus returns. Amen? Let's pray.